Hi, everybody. This is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. We're here for the Invested Podcast, where we're talking about how to invest and how to get yourself wrapped up in it and be invested in the future financial success of your life. Invested in the stock market and in yourself. <laughs> and you know what? We're, we're actually talking about more than stock market investing. We're talking about investing as uh, as a as a as a just a, a quality of your life that's something you do and know how to do whether it's stock market real estate private companies buy a franchise you know so that you'll understand always in your life whether you're actually investing or whether you're speculating on something mm-hmm. and and last time I was was trying uh. to convince Danielle that if you don't know if you don't understand what you're putting your money into and it doesn't have a durable competitive advantage out there and it isn't operated by people with integrity who are talented and you're not buying you don't know the value and you don't know if you're buying it on sale you're not investing you're speculating i mean no i agree with that you weren't trying to convince me of no just go go pick something and know nothing about it of course that's speculating thank you for mischaracterizing my position (laughs) (laughs) always frame your argument so you'll win yeah yeah Make so, sure you make your opponent sound as bad as you possibly can. That's lawyering number rule number one. So let's take let's take the U.S. stock market in general because that's what most people invest in. Um, the first is, uh, are you capable of understanding it? And you could say yes, I, I'm I'm capable because I know that the that the stock market will represent the growing value of America. And say okay, so I'm capable of understanding it. Second, does it have a moat and you say, yes, of course it does. America is an enormously durably competitive company. It has huge advantages to most other companies in the world by our relative lack of regulation, by our uh, intense venture capital community of billions and billions of dollars that are willing to go into risky ventures, by our risk-taking population, by our well-educated population that come up with new schemes all the time. All of those things are huge, durable, competitive advantages to the rest of the world. So we can say that compared to the rest of the world, the U.S. is a great place to invest from that perspective. Then we have to ask, is it being managed by people of integrity and talent? Questionable. (laughs) (laughs) That could be our Achilles heel. (laughs) That that really could be our Achilles heel in a world where, and I know, okay, I'm going to get political a second, where... Students five seconds. Okay, students seem who who are supposed to be educated. These are college students seem to not understand the implications of. Oh, um, your five seconds are up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Anybody who clicked on this did not want to hear your political views. They want. I know. I know. I know. But I'm just saying, if you want to be an investor, be aware that if you're investing in the United States stock market that people that we elect to run the country have an enormous impact on what's going to happen in the future to American competitiveness. Just saying. Be aware that my father has become a crotchety old man and he starts sentences with things like, these students just don't understand what's happening. I'm not. I am not. I could object. Could there be a more crotchety beginning? I am. Sentence? I am I mean, not I suppose crotchety. you could have said, "These kids today, they just don't get it. <laughs> they don't understand how hard it's been." 
I'm which laughing. I, I think was actually the subtext to what you were saying. I'm laughing because when I was that age, I was I I was working on a river trip when Richard Nixon was resigned his office, and I had no idea that he did, and didn't care at all one way or the other. <clears throat> so I know how it goes. Fair enough. All right, I take that as as gospel. I've arrived at that point in my life where I think I know everything. <laughs> I think you were born at that point. Yeah, really. probably so. But aren't we all? Oh, I guess so. I guess so. So in this so podcast, we, I, and I am teaching Danielle how to invest, and Danielle is teaching me how to teach her how to invest. Oh, I like that. So that she's figuring That's it out. That's true. That is true. Yep. I think, I'm, I think I'm shaping how you're doing this. Absolutely. And let me give a quick plug. Because I, because I don't understand it the way you want to You're do it. absolutely shaping how we do this. And, and I'm changing. We have a three-day workshop that I do once a month. And, and all of you are invited at the podcast. If you just go over to investedpodcast.com and, and uh, click on the link that says workshop and you can sign up. It's uh, absolutely free. We don't sell anything there. I teach it myself for three days. Um, it's a good workshop. It's phenomenal. It's, I think we hear from a lot of students that it's better than their $100,000 MBA. Um, we absolutely teach this kind of investing, rule one investing, and three days later, you're going to really get it. So here's, uh, here's where we're at. We're lurking at our, our lemonade stand, and we've concluded that if we treat it like a bond, if we look at it like an equity bond, and we've determined that we want to have a minimum of 10% in our equity bond, 10% yield, <clears throat> then just per based year. on that. 10% per year. Per year. Is what we're looking for. Yep. And based on being able to figure out what free cash flow is. And it, oh, okay. So let me let me try to tell you, okay? Okay. Let me um, do a little review. All right. Free cash flow is you take the operating cash flow of the business, which is the cash accounting version of accounting, meaning that it actually reflects the money going in and out rather than the money that's expected to go in or out. And you can find the operating cash flow line on the cash flow statement of any given business. So you take that line, which in our lemonade stand is $11, and then you subtract the capital expenditures of $3. And I'm going to assume that there's a line for capital expenditures. Oh, yeah. Right oh, on. Oh, wait, we talked about this. There's a difference yeah. between capital expenditures and purchase of property and equipment because capital expenditures also includes investments in the business for the future. Yep, but for our so purposes, our, we're just going to treat them the same for right now. Okay, fine. So <laughs> <laughs> that's $3 in our lemonade stand, which gives us a free cash flow per share of $8. Perfect. Did you I nailed it, right? it. Yeah, A plus. A plus. The, the only thing I would just add is just to let everybody know that there is a line on the cash flow statement called purchase of property and equipment. And it's usually two or three or four lines below the operating cash flow line. So which one are we supposed to look for? Capital expenditures or purchase of property and equipment? Purchase of property and equipment. Okay. And the reason you're not going to look for capital expenditures is because there's no line for capital expenditures. Well, that is an excellent reason. <laughs> Good. All right. So they've grouped it into that line called purchase of property and equipment. And you're absolutely right. It does include money spent on growth. 
Um, but we're just going to say, okay, that's fair enough. And just leave it alone. It's too, it, we're getting oh, too I see. So I, so I misstated <clears throat> it. I was thinking purchase of property equipment did not include the growth expenditures, but you're saying that it does. Yep, it does. Got it. Okay. All right, cool. So that got us to $8 of free cash flow. Then how then then how would we arrive at a value of that business if we looked at it as an equity bond? Okay, so we know we want 10% or more. Right. So we're going to use 10% as our number or 0.1 and take our $8 divide it by 0.1 and get $80 per share. Beautiful. You and got it. Meaning that that's not the total valuation of the business, but that, that's what we would pay per share. That's what we'd love to pay for the business. And we're going to stipulate right now that the business is probably worth a lot more than that. Yeah, I, I get that. Okay, good. So that's how we figure we out. We can talk more about that some other time, but right. I'll, I'll stipulate to that one right now. Okay, good. Now, we're going to look at this a totally different way. The way we're going to look at this now is called a typically called a discounted cash flow analysis. Um, and what it basically, and this is what you learn in business school, how to value a business. You do a discounted cash flow analysis and they can be very sophisticated and require you to get an MBA. Or you can just do it the way we do it, which will get you very close. And close counts um, when it comes to figuring out the value of a business because we are not going to go pay the value of the business we are going to discount it dramatically uh, to a margin of safety price, and that's what we're willing to pay. And that's why we're not too worried about being perfect about the value. We don't have to go sit in a testimony with a bunch of lawyers and say the value of the business is this, and I can, you know, here's how I defend it. We're just, we're investors, and what we want is to get a big margin of safety in what we think is roughly the value of the business. Okay, that makes sense. So we're going to essentially create a pretty good valuation, but maybe not super defensible in a court of law, and then and then discount it heavily in order to give ourselves a margin of safety. Exactly. We're going to discount it by 50%. Okay. So we're going to cut it in half, and that'll give us... So even if we're wrong on our, <laughs> on our crappy method of valuation... Yes. <laughs> we'll still be okay, is what you're saying. Exactly. So this is this is not going to hold up in a court of law, but it's very, very good for a small investor to know how to do it. And it's pretty easy to do. You just got to have to use uh, use a little bit of, a, of an Excel spreadsheet here, um, which is a big pain in the butt. I've discovered in by teaching this class, right, that probably half the people in the class don't know how to use an Excel spreadsheet. So... Yeah. Yeah, that's half. A lot. Yeah, half's a lot. And so we we're, we built tools. I mean, I would describe myself as not really knowing how to... I know how to use it, but there's a lot of stuff Excel does that I have absolutely no idea. Oh, me too. But I mean, people don't know how to put an equal sign into an Excel spreadsheet. Okay, that's another level for sure. <laughs> of incompetence. Oh, I didn't want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> if you listen to this podcast... And you don't even know what an Excel spreadsheet is. Fear not. Oh, yeah? Uh, that yeah. You, maybe when, you should. Maybe you should fear. Maybe you should. <laughs> go, go figure it out for twenty minutes. Well, we had so many. We had so many students be befuddled by Excel spreadsheets that we'd finally just said, "All right, we're going to build some tools." So we we have tools for you in class that so you don't have to use an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> but in the real world, you need to learn 
how to use an Excel spreadsheet. And uh, you can look you can look at how I do it on uh, on Excel spreadsheets. If you want to go to the book Rule Number One um, on Amazon, you can pick up a copy. And in it is a great chapter on how you use your Excel spreadsheet to figure out these kinds of numbers. So for right now, can we just say that you know how to use an Excel spreadsheet? Yeah, I mean, if I can do it, anybody can do it. That's my feeling on it. All right, so here we go. We need four numbers in order to figure out the value of this business using this discounted cash flow analysis. The first number is the earnings per share from the last year. We actually say the last 12 months since you could be halfway through a year. So what are the earnings for the last 12 months? And in this case, we have our lemonade stand earning. It's grown the earnings from $6 up to $11. So it now has $11 of earnings. Yes, it does. All right. And, and I just want to say for continuity that we have discussed these numbers before. This is kind of where we started. About a year ago, I think. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we started, I think, about five or six episodes ago when I was trying to figure out the difference between the big four growth rates and the margin of safety yeah. numbers. Yeah. So we're back to the margin of safety numbers. Right. Um, and the first number is the earnings trailing 12 months. Perfect. And again, if you if you just type into Google, like the name of a company and earnings trailing 12 months, Google will literally give you the answer and you don't even have to click on any website. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. Very good. Second number we need is the growth rate for the future. How fast is this going to grow? <clears throat> Let's say over the next 10 years. Now, that is also given to you um, by the analysts, um, you can go to websites like Zacks that specialize, Z-A-C-K-S dot com, that specialize in growth rates. Um, or you can look it up on virtually any brokerage site. They can show you the growth, the expected growth rate for the next few years. Yahoo has it. Um, okay. Look up any any. Would you stock. say the future, what I have written down is the seven to ten years in the future. That's what we're going to use it for. Um, the analysts only go out five years. That's what I was going to ask, is how do you know what they're looking at if you pull up a number? Yep, they're looking at a five-year growth rate. And what Zacks does is a really cool thing, and everybody uses Zacks for this, even Yahoo and MSN and Google, all these places where they're Morningstar, they're pulling together all the data. Zacks collects all of that data from all of the different analysts that are tracking this company. And there might be 14 different analysts who are making a projection of growth rate over the next five years. And it might be a range of, let's say, in our, on our lemonade stand here, of 9% would be the most conservative one. And the, the, the one that's the most optimistic is showing 20% is what he thinks the growth rate's going to be. And what Zach's does is it takes the average. And <clears throat> let's say in this case that the Zach's average for earnings growth rate on this lemonade stand is 13%. Okay, got it. Now, we also want to know what the historical average has been. So we're going to look historically and see that the historical average over the last years that this company's been around is also 13%. And that often is the case. The analysts are also able to look at the history of the business. And if it's a good business, it's got good moat, it's got durable protection that keeps its margins high, it can grow at the same rate for a long, long period of time. So um, we're going to say that in this case, our lemonade stand growth rate is 13% for the future, out seven to 10 years. We're pretty confident with that. 
I'm sorry. I, I missed something you said there. So we're we're talking about the growth rate of earnings for the next seven to 10 years, which is on average 13%. Mm-hmm. And yep. then you went on to another number, which I thought we were going to like a number three number, but we're not. Did you just, were you talking about something that goes into the 13% number? Yeah, I was basically saying that um, when I'm looking at this number, I'm seeing that the analysts are projecting 13%, but I know they're only going out five years, number one. Oh, got it. Okay. Because well, we want to go seven to 10 years. Yeah, exactly. And so I also know the analysts tend to be optimistic, right? And so we <clears throat> we want to kind of look at the analyst number with a little historical perspective, and we also want to be sure we understand the whole business well. Okay. So historically, the company's done 13%. So that leans credibility to the analyst expectation that it's going to do 13% on average in the future. And, and then I'm going to look out even farther and say, yeah, I think it can continue this for, for virtually the next decade or so. And, okay. And, so um, the historical growth rate is, is to bolster your... We're going to pick a number here, essentially. Yeah, we're going to pick a number. For number two growth yep. rate. Yep. And I also have in my notes that we use our estimated number from the big four growth rates in order to decide this number. Yeah, if you're using our toolbox, um, which we teach you how to use at the at the uh, monthly workshop, if you're using the toolbox, the toolbox is going to project some numbers to you. And we're not going to go into that right now. But uh, ultimately, we'll show you how to figure out what that growth rate is. It's really important that you get a good, solid growth rate. Well, we went deeply <clears> into <throat> it already that we, and I'm not sure if that's what your toolbox does, but we went into how we had to, so we have, this is this number two, this growth rate of earnings, number two on the margin of safety analysis, is where the big four growth rates come in. Exactly. Because we have our sales growth rate of 13%, our earnings growth rate of 13%, our free cash flow growth rate of 15%, and book value growth rate of 20%. And the really confusing part, me, is if we have an earnings growth rate, why do we have to figure out the earnings growth rate? And the reason is that we're looking into the future instead of in the past. So what you've said before is you take those four and basically just pick without not necessarily averaging, but just pick something that seems reasonable to you um, because the numbers might be manipulate, manipulated. So you want to have these four to sort of give yourself a... Um, a perspective on what's going on. Yeah, one of the tools we built is a visual tool that shows you what each of these numbers looks like over a 10-year period. And um, you can see immediately if, if one number is being messed with when you look at it visually. Um, and But you just made a very, very good summary of that whole thing, which is that your, your number 13% here, your growth rate of 13% isn't just taken out of the blue. And we don't just accept the analyst as being, you know, some some number that's perfect. <clears throat> we have to look at the history of the business. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we look at it over different periods of time. We look at it through the lens of these four different growth rates from sales, earnings, cash, and book value. And we just, you know, you sort of just get better at, at it over time, just like riding a bike, at seeing a reasonable number to use for a growth rate. And um, if your reasonable number turns out to be higher than the analyst average, then use the lower one. Use the analyst average. And if your reasonable number is lower than the analyst, then use yours. Because we're looking for a more conservative number there. So for number two, there are two parts to it. You go to Zach's or some other website to look at the analyst's estimated growth rate. 
and then, or before that, I don't care which order, you use your big four growth rates, which we discussed in detail earlier, um, to figure out your own future projected growth rate. And then you choose the lower or what seems to be the most reasonable to you, which is probably the lower. Yeah. Two numbers. Yep. Got it. That's it. All right. So that in this case is 13%. Okay. <clears throat> the, third, the next number you need, number three, is the P-E ratio. Which is the price to earnings ratio. Very good. Very good. And the reason that there's I love, such I love a thing. easy questions. <laughs> the P-E ratio exists because businesses are sold for a price that's a multiple of the earnings. That is, if the earnings are a million dollars a year, nobody's going to sell you that business for a million dollars because they're going to get the million anyway. So everybody sells their businesses for some multiple of earnings, unless the business is just terrible. Wonderful businesses you can say for sure, always sell for a multiple of earnings. So the question is, how big is that multiple? And the P-E ratio is the multiple. It's that That is the, the number you're going to use to ultimately figure out the value of the business. And the P-E ratio comes to us in a relationship to the growth rate. So P-E ratios, or the multiple people are willing to pay for your earnings, is very much related to how fast that business is growing. In other words, how much cash am I gonna get in the future and how fast is that cash growing is gonna tell me how big a multiple I should pay for this business. If the business isn't growing at all, write this one down, this is important. If there's no growth in the business at all and if the business is private, then the average price people pay is roughly around seven times earnings. Got it. Okay, so for a private business, which is not what we're talking about in the market, obviously. Right. For a private business, which is not liquid, which has more risks in terms of the asymmetry of information between investors and the company, which has probably a smaller marketplace, um, they tend to use lower multiples. Yep. So... <clears throat> And of course, they are in a range. Hey, okay? you're coughing a lot. I know it's really must be disturbing everybody listening to this. I'm just gonna get something in my throat. So the the key thing here is to understand that when we say a seven multiple or a seven PE of a private business that isn't growing, um, that's a wonderful business. That's not just some schlock business. You know, people sell their crappy businesses, uh, private businesses, for much much less than that. But this is, we're only looking at wonderful businesses, businesses that have real solid durability, a big moat, you know. And those businesses sell for about seven times earnings privately if the earnings aren't growing. If the earnings aren't growing, they sell for more. You know, they might sell for nine or 10 times earnings. Mm -hmm. All right, that's privately. Public businesses sell for about double the PE ratio of private businesses. So if it's a, private business that isn't growing, but it's a really good business, it'll sell for about a 7 PE. As a public company, it'll sell for maybe a 10 to 14 PE, just depending on how bullish the market is. All right. They so, tend to sell <clears throat> higher PEs than that, don't they? Oh, sure. The average PE of the best of the biggest companies is 15 
over the oh, last hundred years. Oh, you're saying 10 to 14 is for one that doesn't have much of a growth. Right, exactly. Got it. And of course, the biggest businesses out there don't have much growth. They don't grow a lot faster than the economy as a whole because they are the economy as a whole. So if you're looking at a growth rate of the economy, let's say of 3%, then that's probably about what your what your biggest businesses are growing at. They're growing at about 3% or 4%. They're not growing very fast. And so they're not going to get a big PE. And over historical times, uh, over 140 years, the average PE for the biggest businesses in America, 500 biggest businesses, is 15 times the earnings. 15. Okay. 15. Yep. Now, those businesses aren't growing very fast. You get a company that's growing much, much faster than that, and you get a much, much larger multiple. So we're going to put a multiple on here that reflects the higher, sorry, the lower of either its historical multiple. In other words, we look at a history of P.E. ratios for this company. We take the, the sort of higher range of those um, or two times the growth rate that we put on there. So if we said the growth so rate is the lower of the historical yep. PE yep. or for a growing great business, right? Yep. Because we're looking only at growing businesses. Yep. So the lower of the historical PE or say the second thing. Two times the growth rate. Or two times the growth, two times the growth rate of earnings. Right. Okay. So in our example here, we have a 13% growth rate. So two times that is not 26%, it's just 26. Okay, we're just, we're dropping the percent here. So we can say that the PE ratio, the highest PE ratio we would give this company is a 26 PE. Okay. But we might find that Lemonade stands as a group never sell that high, that their historical PE is always substantially lower than that, um, maybe their historical P.E. is a high end of about 20. So we just got to look in the history of the P.E.s. And you can do that by like you can go to a brokerage site like TD Ameritrade or Schwab or any of these guys have that data. And you just look up the analyst data and they'll be they'll be you can you can call somebody up and ask them, how do I find historical P.E. ratios? Well, you just you just skimmed over something that's important, which is that different industries have different historical PEs. They do. The predominant reason industries have <clears throat> different historical PEs is that some industries are very have very big fluctuations in their earnings and revenue. They really go up and down a lot um, because they fluctuate with the economy dramatically. Okay, so Coca-Cola doesn't fluctuate much no matter what the economy is doing. Mm. But Boy, GM sure does, or Ford. You know, people don't. If we're in a recession, people aren't buying new cars, and yeah. so this is called sick. This is called a cyclical nature of the industry. And <clears throat> so, some industries are more cyclical than others. Yeah, Much some are very cyclical. Okay, so cyclical industries tend to give a lower average PE because they're bouncy. They're really up and down. And um, and they're not gonna not gonna say oh it's growing at thirteen percent all the time because sometimes it's growing at no percent. Got it. Okay. All right. So we use the lower of historical uh, high average PE or two times the growth rate. Let's say this lemonade stand is very consistent, long history of just consistent right through a couple of recessions, no big deal. Um, we're gonna give that thing two 
times the growth rate. So we're going to give that a 26 PE. Wait a second. <laughs> big silence. <laughs> yeah, big silence. Um, okay, so we already gave it the two times the growth rate of 26. Right. And then we have a historical PE of 20. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just and saying as if. Oh, oh, okay. Right, as if. Let's just assume that it, it, it's not cyclical and it is just real solid and we're going to give it a 26 PE. And historically, it's always had a higher one than that. Lemonade stands. Yeah, lemonade stands. Oh yeah, they're fabulous. Big yeah, growth, okay. big growth yeah. company. Is the are you saying that the growth rate of earnings rate that that we're using and then the historical PE are both twenty six? Growth rate of earnings is how much on this company? Thirteen. Right. And then we double it, which is twenty six. Right. And then I, I I don't know why I'm not following you on what our imaginary historical PE of lemonade stands is. Oh, I see. I, I have, 20, I have 20 written down, and then you just said it was actually you decided to make it 26. I'm so sorry. I screwed you up. Let's just say that Lemonade Stands have a historical P.E. of 20. Okay. Now, what should the P.E. be that we use here? 20. 20. I'm going lower. with you. The lower one. All right, let's use 20. Okay, now just to clarify, just to be nitpicky... We don't want to pick a number that's right in the middle, like, say, 23? No. We just want to go straight up, low as possible. Well, we want to go low as reasonable. So we're looking at the historical PEs, and we see that, that you know, 20 comes up quite a lot as the higher end of the PE range. We'll use that. 20 is the higher end of the PE range? I thought we wanted the lower end of the PE range. No, we're looking at historical PEs. And they're going to, so first off, historical PEs will range on lemonade stands from, let's say, a low of 10 to a, a high of 20. Oh, and we're using the higher number. We're using the higher number here. As far as historical yep. PEs. Yep. Okay. So I thought PE was going to be super easy, and it is extremely not. Right. It requires research into historical PEs of that industry. It does. And it requires some judgment. I mean, if you see that, you know, the, the range is actually from 10 to 46, because one year it had a 46 PE during a giant recession, then you probably don't want to use 46. Be reasonable about it. What's a, what's, what number are you seeing over a 10-year period that keeps coming up on the high end of the range? Because they're going to show you low PE, for 10 years, high PE for 10 years, year by year. And you see you see 20 comes up over and over again, and there's 146. You're not going to use 46. Got it. Okay. Got you know what? I am going to write all this down in such a detailed, beautiful, step-by-step -step way because... I hope you give it to me so I can teach everybody this way. <laughs> Obviously, will. I'm not doing it right, but we're we're trying. No, we're, the thing is, is it's so... It's so um, second nature to you that you it doesn't even occur to you that you would have to look up the historical PE for that industry because you've in your mind you've already done it like you just do it automatically but for me and for everybody else we have to go oh my god I gotta like figure out okay what industry am I even in first of all <laughs> <laughs> what industry are lemonade stands in are they in restaurants <laughs> And, or is there a subset that I should be using? And then, okay, now I have to 
figure out which websites I trust. And then I have to look at 10 to 20 and I have to decide on 20 and I have to know if there was a recession for a year, making it the numbers be slightly off. And you got to know all that. And then you got to pick your number and you got to feel confident about that number. Good Lord. Well, you know, it's like it's how you learn things. And, and this is why we're a year into this. Now we're on two years is because if I told you how hard it is to snowboard right off the bat, all of the things you need to do when you're snowboarding, you would never try to learn to snowboard. You'd be completely flummoxed by all the things you have to think about. Right. Or if uh, like I'm 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 learning how to ride polo horses. Right. So I've been riding horses for a long time. My instructor starts teaching me how to ride this polo horse. And next thing I know, he's telling me I'm doing something wrong every stride that horse takes. I'm going in a circle in a canter around my instructor. And it's this is wrong. That's wrong. This is wrong. Fix that. That's it. Don't do that. And it's like, good Lord, man, just tell me one thing to fix here. So I totally get it, okay? But yeah. honestly, anything worth learning is going to have more and more sophistication to it as you get deeper. So look at what we did last you've time. You've been hustling us. A little bit, <laughs> as any good teacher will. So last time we learned a way to value a business that's just simple. Yeah, it was very easy. Right. I will, I will give you that. It was very easy. So this time we're getting much more sophisticated and we're we're learning where these numbers come from. And, um, you know, naturally, it's going to be a little harder to grasp. But all of this is in the book is it's in my book, rule number one. And we go into it in a lot of good detail at the at the workshop. So we now have three numbers. We had eleven dollars of earnings. We have a 13 percent growth rate and we have a P.E. ratio of 20 because the historical rate was lower than the than the two X, the growth rate. And now we're going for the fourth number, the minimum acceptable rate of return. Okay, wait, we've never talked about the fourth number. This is called the minimum acceptable rate of return. Number four. Yes. Minimum acceptable rate of return. MAR, M-A-R-R. Minimum acceptable rate of return is the same thing that they would teach you in business school that they call a discount rate. But I'm telling you what it actually means. The discount rate is the minimum amount of money, the minimum yield on this investment that I want to get every year. Okay. Now, you remember we put in a 10% yield before? Yeah. On the cap rate? We're going even bigger here. We're going to use a 15% annual rate of return is our minimum acceptable rate of return to put a value on this business. Okay, two questions. Mm -hmm. Why is it different? And is 15% an optional, like the minimum to an optional number that we choose? Or do we always use 15%? I'm going to strongly recommend we always use 15%. And the like reason... I would use 16% just to be crazy. Right. Well, the bigger the number, the lower the price that you will be willing to pay for the business. Because okay, so, you're asking so the business it, it, to Making get... it a higher number gives you a larger margin of safety. Exactly. And probably makes it more difficult to find companies. Exactly. And the lower the number, if you put it down lower, you're going to get more and more companies you can buy. And you're going to be able to pay, you're be willing to pay a higher price. Now, why is it different than the yield or the cap rate or, what, or the, on the equity bond? 
And the reason is because we're using earnings now. Oh, that's a good reason. Yep. Okay. Number one. And number two, we're now using a growth rate that we didn't care about with our equity bond. We just assumed with our equity bond, we didn't care if there's growth or no growth. We're just buying it to get that nice 10% yield. <clears throat> this thing has a growth rate that's going to affect the, the, the value of the business dramatically. It's going to affect it in a good way. In a good way. It's going to make it bigger. Yeah. So right? why do we have a higher requirement? Because I want to discount that growth rate more. I'm going to, I'm going to, because you're not confident in it. I am because I am not confident in it because okay. it's 10 years into the future because a lot can change. So the first thing I'm going to do is put in a big mar here, minimum acceptable rate of return because of just the general risk that I'm getting these numbers wrong. Okay. Okay. All right. So uh, just to recap, what I hear you saying is that because here we're projecting numbers, whereas in the equity bond calculation, we were not projecting numbers at all. Right. They, they were historical numbers right. and very recent ones. Um, with these ones, we're, we're literally inventing numbers in our imagination. Yes. Of what we think will happen. Yes. So you want a higher margin of safety. Yes. Not only that, but we're inventing numbers that are not particularly super conservative. These are... Numbers we're trying to get right in terms of historical accuracy. And we're not trying to be like super, super squeeze the numbers down because we might be wrong. We're just putting the number in there that we think is probably true. And then we're going to squeeze them with the mar. Okay. Okay. I can understand that. And the earnings part, you mentioned that it was different because you were using earnings. And is that because earnings use accrual accounting and that's also a future some yes. projection, although it's not imaginary. Yes. Plus earnings are notorious for being manipulated by accounting at these public companies. Yeah. They can manipulate their earnings and make them look better and better all the time. And they try to do that all the time. They can manipulate earnings lots of ways. They can buy back stock. The company might not be growing at all, but the earnings are growing like a weed because they're buying back stock and dividing the earnings number by fewer and fewer shares every year, which makes it look bigger and bigger. So there's a lot of ways to mess with earnings here. And we're going to account for a lot of that just with having a big minimum acceptable rate of return. Yeah. CEO payouts tend to be tied to the, the stock price. And that makes a lot of sense on its face. You would want a, com a, a company with a CEO that's going to make the stock price go up. Right. Because then the company is more valuable, blah, blah, blah. But what tends to happen is that if the CEO is only there for a few years and is a mercenary CEO who's been hired to do a job for a couple of years and then leave, is they, they do things like that, which I find infuriating. But it's because they are being incentivized to do it. And there's no mystery there. They are incentivized to make the stock price go up, not for that company to become better. They're different. And, and really, the company might not even be doing well and the, and, and the earnings are going up and the stock price is going up. I mean, just because so many people just focus on earnings, they don't realize that the earnings number is being manipulated and therefore they keep bidding up the stock price. General Motors did that for years and got away with it until it finally went bankrupt. Lord knows if anyone's going to get that one wrong, it's me. 
Yep, for sure. There's some ways we're going to deal with that in the future. And we'll talk to you about how to do that with your portfolio. So these are our four numbers right here. These four numbers will give us um, a, mar a what we call a margin of safety analysis or what we also call the intrinsic value of the business. Now, let me let me check time real quick. What are we looking at here? Okay, we're at about 40 minutes right now. Okay, then I think I don't want to go to the next step okay. until we uh, get to the next, we go next week. Okay, um, I'm going to recap with this one. our four numbers. <clears throat> so this is the, what, what do you call this? The margin of safety analysis? I do. That's called the margin of safety analysis. This is our margin of safety analysis, which normal business people call discounted cash flow analysis. Right. <laughs> but we are not normal business people. We, mm -hmm. are, we are doing our own thing. <laughs> We're, we're rule oneers. We're rulers. We're rulers. <laughs> rulers. So they are four numbers: the earnings for the trailing twelve months, which for our lemonade stand is eleven dollars. The growth rate of earnings, which is a number that sounds real, but we are actually going to pick it out of the thin air. And the thin air is made up of two different things, which is our big four growth rates which we've discussed on an earlier podcast and I can't even begin to get into right now. But basically you choose the number out of, a, out of those four numbers and it's not necessarily the average. You just choose the number that seems good and safe. And then, um, which for us is 13%. And then you look at Zach's or some other similar website for the future estimated growth rate, which comes from various analysts. And that will also have multiple various numbers. And again, you pick one that seems safe. So for our uh, lemonade stand, we're picking 13% for our earnings growth rate into the future. And then we have our third number, which is the price to earnings ratio. And that is, what is that? Average 15% for the market overall, which we no, don't no, care don't, about. Let me, let me jump in. It's not a percentage. It's just I'm sorry. a multiple. I have an X there. And yet I said percent. 15x, 15 times is the multiple right. for the market overall. Right. Um, thank you. And so we actually don't care about that because we are not using the market overall. We're using the industry of the company that we're looking at. So we need to look at the historical PE for our industry, which I did not write down how you do that, but I'm going to assume it uses the Internet. Which websites do you go to for that one? Yep. Again, you can get that information off of Yahoo. You awesome. can look up the competitors and see what their growth rates or what their PE ratios are and get it that way. Oh, you look at competitors. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So use the internet for that. I'll need to figure out how to do that a little bit in more detail because that's a little confusing to me. And then you use second number is two times the growth rate of earnings, which we just figured out. So our two numbers for the lemonade stand are two times the growth rate of earnings is 26. And the historical PE for lemonade stands is 20. And we are going to use the lower of those two, which is 20. Good. Good so far. And then number four is the minimum acceptable rate of return, which to normal business people is called the discount rate. I like to know what normal business people call things so that when I could talk to normal business people about what I'm doing, I can say like, oh, you know, the discount rate. And they'll be like, oh, got it. You should you should do because nobody's going to know what minimal acceptable rate of return is. I made exactly. that up. 
And and it makes you sound really dumb when you're having a cocktail with somebody and you're like, oh yeah, let me tell you about this great thing I'm working on and I'm so intelligent about it and I'm learning so much. And it's this thing that I'm, I'm sure you know all about, which is the minimum acceptable rate of return of 15%. And they're like, what? And you're like, you know, that that number and they're like what and you're like i literally have no more information to give you about what that is or why it's 15 percent or where it came from and then i usually just go well my dad said that and what do you do i don't know let's get another drink But now you know you can just say I can't the even discount tell you rate. You how di- many times I've had that conversation. Oh my gosh, that's horrifying. So you just say the discount rate. That's all. And then they like. Luckily, oh, oh, I'm a very oh. confident person. I don't really care if they understand. But it would be it would make the conversation go much more easily. So that's the discount. <laughs> Definitely. So um, that is 15 percent, which we are picking out of thin air, and we're keeping it at 15 percent. We're not going up or down. We're always using 15 percent because. It uses earnings, which is an estimated, well, it's not estimated, but it, it uses various projections. And because there's another reason that I forgot already. A little, little thin on this one. A little bit thin on the cocktail talk on this one. 15%. Well, I already told you that. You just tell them, look, it's a discount rate. And um, we're using a 15% discount rate because. Um, oh, because to- we're using growth rates. That was the other reason. Yeah. Because we're using growth rates and we're imagining them. But at the bar, you don't even say that. When you're hanging out at the, at the bar, you just say, because it, it, it's a good number to account for the risk of investing in stocks. <laughs> and then they go, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Got that it. is such a vague statement. Yeah, but it, no one will question it. You got oh, it. Got please, it. You, don't, you don't hang out with the people I hang out with. Or they may go, why not 10%? You go, well, yeah. I like to be more conservative. Oh, I like that. Yeah. You just, nobody, nobody can ever argue with that. No. Can't argue with that. No, and, and then I go like, they go, well, why not 20? You say that's too conservative. Oh, I just, it's too much for me. Yeah, I so, actually want to make some money this year. Yeah, it's, I'd never, I could never find anything at that rate. Oh, I like it. There you go. That's just. I think you got it. I think you got it. You got it real close. And what we'll do is we'll review these next time. And then we're going to show you how to take those four numbers and turn that into an intrinsic value of the business and a margin of safety price. All right. Intrinsic value of the business. Yep. What it's worth. And a margin of safety price. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right, because we haven't actually calculated our margin of safety. Nope. But we're going to go through it again, make sure everybody gets it. And then we're going to calculate the lemonade stand margin of safety. Awesome. Okay. All right. Until next time, then. Time to go play. Bye, everybody. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you gotta do to go is enter the special podcast code stockpile, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, stockpile, into the application form, and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. 
and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.